Good morning again, Christ Community Church. If you would be turning in your Bibles to Romans chapter 3, verses 27 through 31. And as you're turning there, let me give you the key truth that I want us to walk away with this morning. It's that our justification is through faith alone, apart from the law, to set us free to love God and our neighbor. Let me say that again. Our justification is through faith alone, apart from the law, to set us free to love God and love our neighbors. If you would give your attention to the reading of God's word, this is Romans 3, 27 through 31. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Again, we are uh, coming into a, a new place in the book of Romans. Paul is wrapping up <clears throat> his discussion of all the ways in which the Jews and the Gentiles were unified in their fallenness, in their brokenness, in their rebellion. And he's shifted gears and is now unpacking how they are to be unified in, uh, in Christ alone, uh, by God's grace alone, through faith alone. And so he's helping to unpack for them, what it means for them to be justified, to be truly loved of God, to be favored by God, and what that then means for how they live. And so last week we heard uh, the great declaration that became, uh, that has become one of the most important declarations in all of our faith, which is that we are saved uh, by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And while there's much that we could have said last week, we get the opportunity as Paul is going to unpack each of those things uh, over these next few chapters and then get into our sanctification throughout the rest of the book of Romans. And so we'll have many opportunities to return to the, the various concepts within that phrase and what that means uh, week in and week out over the next uh, number of months. And so we don't have to get it all at one time. Uh, but, but it helps for us to have an overview. So last week essentially was the overview. Now he's beginning to focus in on, key in on faith alone. So we get that here and then uh, the, uh, a good dose of it in chapter four as he's going to use Abraham as the example. So as we step into this, we want to keep that in mind and recognize that what Paul is doing again and again and again is trying to help this church that has gotten divided. They've gotten divided about different things that we've gone over the last few weeks between the Jews and the Gentiles who are trying to declare one of them as more favored than the other because of these various distinctions. He again lays the ax to the root of that tree and, and declares that what should unify them is their faith. And it's in that faith alone uh, that, that they are to um, serve and be the people of God. And there's no distinction within that. So as we step into this, my opening question for us this morning to, to consider is, what is it that you have done or that is true of you that is worthy of boasting? Right? There may be some things that you've accomplished. For me, I am uh, within a, a couple of rings of my family. Um, the, the first person to go to and graduate from college that's meaningful. And that is something that I can, I can boast of as true. 
but it was, it's very important for me to recognize that I didn't do any of that alone. That there are circumstances that I had no control over that made any and all that possible. Um, from, whether it's from my Uncle Randy ensuring that I had a certain amount of money that would allow me to even get into college and pay for some measure of it. Uh, or any of the other things that were, were done for me. Uh, not, not because of anything that I did to deserve it, but were just given to me as graces uh, on a smaller scale from various family members and friends who encouraged me to stay the course, who encouraged me to do various things. I, I didn't do this. I, I really can't boast of it in and of myself because it, I, didn't, I didn't do it alone. And in fact, that, that's true of all of us. Any of our characteristics, any of the things that we've accomplished, none of us can really say that we did it fully in and by ourselves, right? So much more our redemption in Christ. As we heard from last week, we, we, we can't boast of anything that we've either accomplished, right, by the keeping of the law or that was inherent within us, who we were born to, uh, whether we were uh, baptized, uh, in their case, circumcised, any of these things, any of these distinctions do not gain or garner or warrant, probably better said, God's love for us. He chooses purely to do it because of his own redemptive will, his own profound grace. And so, so it's very important that we recognize that there really isn't anything that we could boast of truly. And so, uh, as we said last week, and this is going to be important for us going forward as we, we continue through the book of Romans to keep coming back to this again and again, theology uh, must be lived in relationship, but not merely discussed in abstraction, right? I think we've been guilty of that uh, far too often, of discussing kind of abstractly what is justification and being able to answer it. Maybe, maybe even those of you who've studied the catechism, you can answer using the Westminster Shorter Catechism, uh, or you can answer using some other way that, that you've been discipled in. But, but while we can answer the question, and it's good for us to be able to do so, by the way, even more important is that we actually can live it out and recognize that it affects uh, our relationship with God and with, with our neighbors, with other people. And so that's critical for us to keep in front of us. And I love this quote from Charles Hodge. I think it's, a, it's actually a great litmus test, and, and I hope that you will, you will keep it in, in mind. But it's, he makes it very clear. He says, look, all true doctrine tends to humble us and to exalt God. That's a great thing for us to look at and ask of the things that we believe, <clears throat> of the things that we uh, tout theologically. Do they humble you? Are they, are they humbling you? Are they, are they helping you to see your dependence upon Christ, your dependence upon the Holy Spirit, your dependence upon God as Father? Are they helping you to see that you couldn't save yourself, that you, you can't even keep up your salvation by yourself? And does it, does it, what you believe actually exalt God in Christ? Does, does it make much of God as Father? Because if it doesn't do both of those things, then it is bad doctrine. I don't care what it is. Um, I, it is not helpful to who and whose we are. He goes on, and all true religion, which in his, what he would mean here is the lived, for you to live out your doctrine. So all true religion or lived doctrine is characterized by humility and reverence. 
And that's another good litmus test for us to ask ourselves of the things that I'm learning, of the things that I'm reading, of the things that I think I know. Am I living out those things in humility and reverence, recognizing again who I am as creature and who God is as creator? And with that backdrop, let's turn to the text and, and, and see how Paul begins to unpack some real, some basics for faith alone to help us understand some things. Notice what he says. Uh, he, he, he begins to ask some questions. Now, this is more rhetorical than he is anticipating that they are asking these questions. He's essentially saying these are questions you should ask. So he says, then what becomes of our boasting? Now remember, both the Jews and the Gentiles were trying to boast of some things to evidence they were bringing forth what they would think were their bona fides uh, in order to, to be favored of God, that God favored one group over the other. And so he says, then what becomes of our boasting? This bringing forth of these bona fides, is that even possible? It is excluded. He's saying it, it's, not even, it's not even possible. Because of who God is, any boasting is automatically excluded because of the grandeur of God, because he's eternal and we're not, we can't boast. Because he is sovereign and we are not, we cannot boast. Because he is omnipotent and we are not, meaning he's all-powerful, we cannot boast. Because he's all-knowing and we are not, we see through a glass darkly. Um, in fact, we, we, we have things so twisted, it's crazy. And yet we act as if we don't, but, but because he's all-knowing and we're not, we can't boast. Because he is actually faithful and we are not, we cannot boast. Because his love is truly steadfast and ours isn't, we cannot boast. I could go on and on. All of the characteristics of God stand and overshadow any boasting that we could have. And so it is very important that we recognize that, that any boasting we have is excluded purely by virtue of who God is as creator and who we are limited as creature. And he says, well, by what kind of law is this true? By a law of works? Is he, so he's saying, is, is, is it that we can't boast because... Uh, because it, Works are impossible. We can't boast because um, it, the law is is uh, an impossibility to us. No, he says no, but by the law of faith. And what he's saying here is because God has ordained it to be so. It is because God has declared that the only thing in which we could boast or the only thing in which we can rest, better said, is faith alone. The only hope that we have to, to be delivered from uh, the, the oppressive power of sin and death, the, the threat of his judgment in his holiness against our sin, which is wrath, the, the only hope that we have is, is faith alone, which remember from last week, we, we defined as humble surrender, humble confession. I can't save myself. I am in need of saving and Christ alone is Savior by God's grace alone. And so uh, Paul can call that a law because God has ordained it to be so, because it is fixed and it is true. It's true of every single person, as we heard from last week, that it's, it's true uh, for all who believe, for all who surrender. And he goes on, he says, 
For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So he's saying this is, this is completely different from the law. There's nothing you can do to earn this. Uh, faith alone is the only means by which we can uh, benefit from God's grace. And we do that in Christ alone. And so uh, there's nothing we can do to earn it. And, and, and you may say, we say that all the time. Yeah, we have to. Because we are constantly, just like these, these folks, you got to remember he's talking to Christians. These were Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians who had lost the narrative. And he's having to come in and try to gently correct them as a shepherd. And so we too do the same thing, right? We, we, how often are we trying to say, Lord, this shouldn't be happening to me because I have done X, Y, and Z. Or sometimes we say, what good does it do to be a Christian if, if it doesn't result in uh, you preserving certain things or you keeping me from suffering? As if Scripture doesn't make it very clear that suffering is actually part of you being a disciple. It's part of what lets you know you're actually a disciple of Jesus is the fall actually affects you. This is part of us taking sin the most seriously of anybody in any given room. We recognize that sin does, in fact, do damage, both now and not yet. And so we frequently, uh, in various ways, constantly try to offer up to God things that we've done to, to try to gain His love and His favor uh, and, and, and Him answering our prayers in certain ways. And so we, we have to be reminded again and again and again, that that's not how this works. That's a commodified exchange. That's not a relationship. He goes on, or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. And so here He's saying that not only is, is faith alone not by works, there's, there's nothing you can offer up. There's no boasting that you can have. Only your humble surrender uh, uh, is able to receive this gracious gift. It also means, therefore, that there's no distinction, that, 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 that there's not a, a people group more deserving or less deserving of God's love uh, because of anything in them. Now, this becomes critically important as we go about trying to love our neighbors because we've got some tough neighbors to love, right? We've got some enemies. We've got some people we, we heart, heartily disagree with. We've got some people that we have moral disagreements with, we, that we have, uh, 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 have been at war with, that we have been in conflict with. And so uh, it, this helps to frame for us missionally our calling to, to, to seek to be reconciled through Christ, through God's grace, through faith alone, as opposed to all of the other earthly means that at best can only create a temporary detente almost. Uh, it really can't fully reconcile us. And so this is, this is telling us in some measure that the, the gospel is what we are to apply to every riven circumstance. It's different in different circumstances and different, different portions are emphasized. But the gospel has meaning for these kind of things. For when there is disunity, which way do you run? Do you run to the throne of grace 
to receive that you the help that you need in this time of trouble, to be reminded of both mercy and grace, both for you and the person that you are at odds with? Do you, when, when you get frustrated and you dis, are disagreeing with someone or someone says something that you think is just the most profoundly foolish thing you've ever heard, which way do you run? See, this is where our faith becomes beautiful and tangible to us, that we would trust that the creator of the universe knows better how to direct us in wisdom and how to engage with those that, that we are at odds with. That the creator of the universe knows, knows better what that other person needs than we ever could come up with ourselves. And that the creator of the universe knows better how to help us see the plank in our own eye. So, so, so faith then begins to translate from just the merely abstract discussion of there's nothing you can boast and there's no, there's no distinction to actually affecting how we love God and love neighbor, which Paul wants to emphasize here. Notice what he says, verse 31, he says, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So while faith uh, by God's grace alone, in Christ alone, uh, sets us free from, from the condemning aspects of the law. It sets us free from law as enslaving uh, 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 code. It now has set us free to actually keep that law, to, to be able to love God and love neighbor in the ways that God has designed for us, in the ways that God has equipped us, in the places where God has sovereignly placed us, among the people whom he has graciously put around us, we can actually be pleasing to the Lord and of benefit to our friends and neighbors. So, 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 so faith is not abstract. It's not just personal. It's interpersonal. It is a lived reality that is to affect our relationships with other people. It is to humble us first. Right? Think of how important it is, if you're going to be in a relationship with someone else, to be humbled about who you are, to be humbled about the gifts that you have, about, about what you have to offer. Think about how that would change the dynamics if you were aware of that, that in any given relational circumstance, if your posture is one of humility as you enter in, uh, think of how that would change things. And, and, and our faith, right? It, it's, it's the thing that actually renders us humble. In our justification for us to understand that, that we have been made uh, just as if we had never broken the law, just as if we were worthy of God's love, uh, we have been rendered that through nothing within us, through nothing that we have earned, but purely because we have humbly surrendered to God's grace as gift uh, in the redeeming work of Christ, who has set us free to now participate and the beautiful unfolding kingdom that is bringing light into this very dark world. And so if that is what helps us to, to our posture coming into every relational circumstance, can you imagine how that begins to affect the people around us? How that begins to affect you uh, and, and how you view God. Uh, think about how, how um, beautiful that makes his grace, that though you had nothing to offer, he would choose, not because he was forced, but because he chose to love you. And think about how from there to, to recognize that, that there's no one who is rendered automatically out because of, of 
any distinction within them because of anything they've ever done. Now think about how that opens up the mission field and makes possible through hope uh, the, the wonderful stories of transformation and restoration and reconciliation is the church. I would even say, is the world not hungry for stories of reconciliation and restoration that have uh, some sustaining power to them, right? Uh, what, a, what a beautiful thing to, to be able to offer up to a, a culture such as ours that is so deeply angry and anxious and divided the opportunity to see, to taste and see that the Lord is in fact good and we are his ambassadors of reconciliation, that we would be able to show hospitality to those who have been so maligned and so mistreated and so cast out. What a gift uh, we would be to our friends and neighbors and circumstances and the various spheres of influence. Uh, and, then, and then further, that we would recognize that, that the law has not been cast aside, but it, it, it's, it's actually keepable. It is actually not, not about perfection, but it's keepable in the sense that we can love God. We can love our neighbors. Uh, we, we can truly be of benefit in both places, and we've been invited to participate in that. Don't forget uh, what we have said about the bride of Christ at the marriage supper of the Lamb from Revelation 19. She will be clothed in the righteousness of the saints, right? That, that's the, the, the things that we live out and do. That is only made possible through faith alone. We don't get to participate uh, under any other circumstance. Faith alone is the primary vehicle by which we become part of this family. It is God's grace alone and his invitation in the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the finished work of Christ alone, but, but we enter in through faith alone. And so that's why this, this doctrine should both humble us and exalt God. And it should result in us being more humble in our interactions with others and more in awe of the God who has redeemed us in Christ who has graciously bestowed his love upon us. Listen to what uh, Douglas Moo says about this. He's a New Testament scholar. He says, We who are in Christ through faith alone are therefore accounted as having fulfilled the law. Now that's he, shorthand for justification. That means that just as if we had kept the law uh, and been set free from its penalties for disobedience. It is, paradoxically, this very freedom from the law's condemnation that puts us into, and I love that he uses this word, a relationship uh, in which true obedience motivated and directed by the Spirit can come about. See, we, we have been redeemed uh, to, in, to be reconciled not just to God, but to ourselves, to the created world around us, and our neighbors. So there has to be an incarnated truth in order for us to be able to truly say we've been redeemed in faith alone. Our faith must matter on a Saturday at 3 p.m., on a Tuesday night at 8 o'clock. It has to matter. It has to come into play. It must be considered 
Uh, and this is where I, I think we in our tradition need to grow. We need to grow in our ability to, to meditate on things, to, to keep things quick at hand, to, to grab a hold of uh, uh, faith alone, these, these wonderful phrases, and then think through how, does this, how is this to be lived out in varying circumstances. When we find ourselves with questions about wisdom, that, that we would pull these things in to remind us of who and whose we are. And, and live out the practical implications of what that means, what it means to, to um, be redeemed uh, uh, by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So the question that I have for us this morning uh, in reference to this, since worthy of us thinking through practically, is that how is your justification, and the emphasis here is through faith alone, how's your justification through faith alone? your humble surrender, your humble confession that you couldn't save yourself, that you needed saving, and that it was Christ alone who could save you, and it was by God's grace alone that it occurred, right? So how, how does all of that affect, first and foremost, how you love God, right? So, so it would be good to just take each of those things, you, the, the fact that you needed saving and that you were saved to God, the fact that you couldn't save yourself, and God provided the fullness of the sacrifice. The fact that it, it, was, it was in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, that that was going to occur, that should stir within us worship and awe, reverence, glory, joy, right? Think about how this should affect our countenance, and, and, and especially in coming to worship and the attitude with which we gather together. We get to gather together as the undeserved who've been made uh, sons and daughters and granted access to all the heavenly blessings. We are co-heirs with Christ. What a gift. That should cause us, and I'm going to say it, we ought to shout. It ought to stir more within us, right? And then how does this also, the fact that both you and your neighbor can't save yourselves, you, you, you bring nothing to the table, that you and your neighbor uh, need saving, and that you and your neighbor can only be saved by God's grace in Christ, his finished work alone. How does that begin to affect that, that unified plane? Uh, how does that begin to affect how you can interact with your neighbor, both in terms of either uh, as a fellow believer, as a fellow uh, brother or sister in Christ, or as one who, who you long to become brother or sister in Christ. Like what becomes the solution, the real solution all the way down to any disagreement that you have with someone who's not a believer? Like at the end of the day, and granted, I'm not foolish. I understand there's, there's certain practical implications in the immediate, but, but it, all the way down, what is it that's going to reconcile us fully, truly, most beautifully? And so think about how that changes the resources that we use, the, the, the things that we make use of, the means of grace in, in, in trying to resolve any given conflict, any given disunity. Would that this would be the humbling reality which we would bring as we pursue reconciliation with one another. And so Romans 3, 27 through 31 teaches us that our justification is through faith alone, apart from the law, to set us free to love God and our neighbors. So it doesn't ignore the law. It sets us free from the penalty of the law so that we can actually keep the beauty of the law, the relational beauty of the law. 
So Christ community, would you join me in beginning to apply the beautiful truth of, of, of what it means for us to be redeemed in, through faith alone, in Christ alone? Would, would you take time to meditate on this and, and, and seek to love God and love neighbor more as a result? Would, would you look at the things you believe and ask, is this causing me to, to, to be more humble? And reverent, and does it exalt God more? Because I, I would say we need to do some, some work to clear some of these things out. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to do it. I'm trying to think it through, and I know it's a process, and some days it's going to be more painful than others. But the, the longing is that we would be a church that actually lives out in relationship what we say we believe. And that's going to take some, some time, and that's going to take some effort, some energy, some cultivation, some confrontation, some reconciliation. But all of these things are possible in the power of the Holy Spirit because of God's grace that we receive through faith alone in Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us, that you would, despite all of our sinfulness and brokenness, both in terms of just outward, clear rebellion and just abject pride, God, thank you that you, you would choose to bestow on sinners such as us grace, that you would, you would redeem us in Christ through faith alone, that we, we are called to surrender in humility, not so as to be defeated and vanquished, but actually to be prevented from being defeated by sin and death and made more than conquerors in you. I thank you that you have entrusted such glory to earthen vessels such as us. May we, in the power of the Holy Spirit, mature further into the image of Christ because of your word and your call for us to, to, to come before you through faith alone. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.